This episode of the Pain Education Corner is sponsored by the Camella Foundation. The Camella Foundation is committed to relieving pain naturally using osteopathic healing principles. Here at the Camella Foundation, we envision a world where people achieve their maximum potential by being empowered with knowledge and skills to heal themselves and others. This information is to be used for educational purposes only and not to be construed as medical advice. If you have any questions or concerns, please consult a licensed healthcare professional. Bill, the knee pain guru, and welcome to the pain education podcast brought to you by the Camella Foundation. Today, we have a special guest that is going to share her own story on how she came from being in pain and dealing with chronic pain in her life to be able to share her gifts with us today. So I would like to welcome Stanter Candor. Did, did I get that? Almost, almost. Stanter oh. Candola. Candola. Yeah. Okay. Stanter. I apologize. Yeah. My bad. Okay. Um, Stanter, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me on your show. I'm really happy to be here. Great. And would you, would you share like your story? Like what, what? What happened in your life? With um, okay, so I was 15 years old and I woke up one day and um, I had this intense pain in my ankle. I thought I'd sprained it, but later on in the day it cleared up. But the same thing happened again the next day. And I thought that was a bit strange. So I went to the doctors and basically came back, I had some blood tests done. And um, the diagnosis came back as having rheumatoid arthritis. Oh. Yeah, at 15. And uh, it was a bit of a shock because my only experience of arthritis was older people, you know? So I'm 15. It's the idea of this kind of older people disease. Didn't quite know. I mean, this was the 80s, so there's no internet to research what the condition was. Uh, but just kind of having a sense of this, I have this condition, um, clearly it's something to do with pain and inflammation, um, but I really didn't know much more than that at that point. Um, and um, it was, I was told that I should stop doing sports, you know, not do any school, any kind of uh, sports at school, which isn't something you really want to tell people with arthritis, because I think especially a 15 year old you know i think exercise is actually a really important part of the journey so i stopped doing all of those kinds of things and and it was okay for a couple of years it kind of would impact a little bit here and there but not so much that it kind of took over my life and that really happened when i was 17. 17 it became debilitating it became extreme my whole body was flared up. Um, I mean, there wasn't a cell in my body that wasn't in pain. Mm -hmm. um, and I was just in this excruciating pain. Um, I was having flare-ups, constant flare-ups. And for those people that have rheumatoid arthritis will, will know this, you know, where you're so stiff, you can't move, um, you're swollen, the pain is 
it's so hard to explain that level of extreme pain where you basically just want to scream inside, but mm. you can't, you know, and um, just very, very much relying on the, on the doctor's, you know, guidance because I, you know, didn't know where else to go. And I come from a, an immigrant family, you know, my, my parents are Indians, I'm Indian. And so this idea of anything alternative wasn't something that was on our radar. It was just, well, you go to the doctor, you know what they say is correct and you follow what they do. And that's what I really did for those kind of good few years following kind of 17 years of age, but nothing was helping. Absolutely nothing was helping. My body was getting worse and worse and worse. Yeah. And so it started in your ankle yeah. and did it, did it begin to radiate out or was it, did it just affect your joints or can you kind of yeah, I mean, share I, that? Right, your yeah. At the beginning, as I said, it was very much like as if I'd sprained my ankle, you know, that mm -hmm. was the first kind of um, manifestation of, of that, that kind of pain, some inflammation, pain that kind of subsided during the day and then it was gone. But as I said, when I got to about 17, it, it just became this attack in my body that, you know, it was, I didn't recognize my body. I hated my body. I hated what I was becoming because I was just a slave to this condition that I had no control over. Um, and really, you know, I'm somebody who, who likes to kind of you know retrospectively looking back on those years can see what else was going on in my life that also was contributing to the pain and the RA within my body um, it wasn't just oh there's your body that's happening outside of any other influence um, there was I was in a really difficult relationship with my parents you know coming into my teens 17 18 wanting to have independence you know do things for myself and really that there wasn't, my parents were, you know, their main goal was that we were in England, we were living in, in England now, they wanted me, my brother, my sister to have a really good education, you know, so that we would do better than what they did. Um, and, but at the same time, they very much wanted for us to um, culturally live the Indian Sikh Punjabi values at home which really meant that the girls of the family weren't really allowed to have any, any kind of independence and freedom, you know? Mm. Um, and so, uh, and my name, uh, oddly enough, means independence, freedom, oh, wow. liberation, right? So what what am I gonna do? Like that, I've, that is who I am. And that's what I've fought for for all my life. It's been this sense of within the family, this idea of actually being female, I am not lesser than. You know, mm -hmm. and my male, my brother or my uncles or whoever, but I am who I am. And I really wanted to own all of that, you know. So I was in this struggle at home with my family, um, leaving home at 18, even though my body was just, you know, in this extreme, extreme state. Um, but there was just something in me that just felt I would just die at home if I stayed you know, under mm. all of that oppression. So there's a lot going on in my kind of personal life, which I think also contributed to the RA being in the extreme state that it was in those early years. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Wow. Mm -hmm. And that's intense. That those years without all of that outside pressure are intense just yeah. in and of itself. And then you add the physical pain you're experiencing from this rheumatoid arthritis and the uh, social structure that yeah. you were 
uh, born into is it can be wow it's a whole yeah. lot it's a whole whole lot and then as you said you, you know that age you're coming into your adulthood in a way you know your your body's changing anyway you know just hormonally everything is changing and then is this sense of this body's just becoming crippled mm -hmm. you know um to the point when i was between like 18 and 20 22 18 and yeah 18 and 20 i would say um you know that i was just self-medicating so much so because um well there was a there was a there was a shift that happened so in those days in england they had specialist hospitals for arthritis for rheumatoid arthritis so with this situation of me now having left home and you know not seeing my parents and my family kind of being a little bit disowned by everybody um, I would end up in these hospitals because, again, the flare-ups would be so, so, so extreme. And and I remember there was a couple of things that happened in those hospitals that really kind of altered the direction I was in. One of them was that before that, as I said, I was very much into, well, you know, the medical professionals, they know what they're doing, I'll be cured. You know, in my mind, of course, I, you know, this can't possibly be go, go on for the rest of my life there has to be an end point there has to be a cure so I really trusted that the medical profession that there was a cure within that so when I'd end up in these hospitals often in a huge flare-up um, there was two instances that, that happened there one was um, there was a woman in the bed next to me who at that point she was in her mid-40s at that point and um, and her spine was crumbling and and it was because of the uh, steroids that she'd been on, the high, high doses of steroids and other medications that they were giving for RA in those days. And, you know, and suddenly she was moving towards being crippled by this disease, more so than just the, the actual RA, you know, um, symptoms. And I just thought, you know what, that's not going to be me. I'm not going to do that. I am going to perhaps not take some of the medications that they're going to recommend, especially if I know that in the future, in my 40s, that I could be really damaged by that, by the side effects. So that was one of the decisions that I made. And the other one was that in, in one of my hospital stays, um, I remember this this moment where I'm in, in the bed and I have like about four or five doctors around the bed. They're all men, older men. And, uh, and as I said, when you're in a flare-up, I don't know whether you've ever had a, a flare-up that kind of, your whole body is in a flare-up. You you can literally can barely be touched, you know, because oh. the pain is so extreme, it's so raw. And they're just prodding and pulling, and I'm just like sweating Jeez. from the level of pain. I mean, no no care for, you know, consideration of, of me. I was just this slab of meat. And uh, and I remember one of them saying, you know, just fairly nonchalantly, just, oh, well, you know, you'll end up in a wheelchair. And again, this... Wow shocking moment of like well i could see my body was in a bad state so it wasn't as if you know i wasn't aware of that but this idea of prophecy you know of, of my future it just i think it just blew my mind to the point where i was like i'm never coming back i'm not going to see specialists i'm not going to go to the doctor the specialist in any way i'm just going to manage this by myself because the medications they were offering me, I knew that they would potentially have some really long-term damages for me. Mm -hmm. And um, having kind of, you know, all this didn't quite happen in the timeline, but these are some of the mem the bigger memories of those years. 
But there was also another point where I kind of realized that I could either end up being really bitter mm-hmm. and the victim, you know, and like, it's all happening to me. And I thought, God, that, that's me living in my own head. It's not like I'm going to be living like that because I felt so, life just felt so unfair, you know, and, um, and, and I felt like I was losing out on this potential future that could have had because of this condition, because of this body and not liking this body, hating the situation I was in. And uh, so I thought either it's really bitter or I'm going to have to look for something else. Because there might be. So far, I've just focused on the medical model as that possibly saving my life and giving me a life again. That clearly isn't working. They've tried all kinds of things. The things they want to try, I don't want to try because of the long-term effects. So that was quite a pivotal moment as well to say, all right, I'm going to have to look for other things and then see if there is anything else out there that could potentially really help me um, with my body, with having this condition and, and trying to make sense of it for myself. And this is taking place, would you say early 20s? Yeah, early late, late 20s. kind of, it was kind of 18, 18, 19 was when I began to do this kind of, this thinking began to open up a little bit about, is there the possibilities? What is there, it is more of, is there a choice? Do I have a choice in any of this? Because it didn't feel like that. It felt like it was just done to me, you know? Mm -hmm. So there was this kind of beginning, this opening of perhaps there's another way. Perhaps there's something else. So how do I find out? You know, what do I do about that? And, um, and, you know, I'll be, I'll be really honest with you that, that it let, you know, before the, the situation at home with other with my life began to worsen in some ways that at one point I did decide to take my life. And because I, I just, you know, I just, it was mainly because I didn't, it wasn't a cry for help because I'm quite strong in, in that way. I would have, if I if it was a cry for help, I would have asked for help. But it was actually this one moment when I'm 20, 20, I think it was, that I just thought, you know what, this life, this body, this situation that I'm in because I really wanted to just you know put my fingers up and leave everybody and just walk away to the into the sunset but I physically couldn't I needed to be at home I needed help you know Mm -hmm. that I'm in this relationship with my parents where I actually need help but it's really toxic and yet I can't leave you know yeah it's not the help that you need it wasn't the help that I yeah. needed. It was the help that they were they were doing their best. You know, my parents were struggling with all kinds of stuff with trying to set up businesses and then their relationship, but it wasn't what I needed. And so there just came a point because at this point now I'm self-medicating. So I'm taking about 30, 40 to 50 really high dose painkillers every day because I'm in a flare up most of the time. I'm taking anti-inflammatory, 10 or so anti-inflammatories a day. I'm taking three, four, five sleeping tablets a night because my body is a dead weight, you know? Right. So if I need to, because the pain starts even after a couple of minutes of lying on any side. So I need to wake up to physically move the dead weight of my body to another position. So literally just having a couple of minutes, 
you know, of shut-eye before I have to kind of move myself again. So there's, you know, extreme psychological state, sleep-deprived, you know, situ emotional situation not great. So I make this decision that actually I'm done. I would rather risk finding out what's on the other side, mm -hmm. you know, than actually stay in this life right now. Sure. And, and, you know, I was reading a lot around kind of Aldous Huxley, you know, we were really into door, the doors, you know, um, idea of consciousness being more than just the third dimensional reality. So if I always kind of believed there was more, you know, mm -hmm. there was always something other that the, the experience of consciousness doesn't just end with the death of the body, right? So because of that, then I was able to kind of make that decision to take my life. But what actually happened was that, um, so I took all the medication that I had and I had loads of it, you know, because of oh, you know, wow. my condition, right? So I just took it all, took it all, took it all, left a note for my parents and, um, and I woke up two days later, I think in hospital. And, um, and, and in those days, if you, and I don't know how it is these days, I hope it's a lot better in hospitals, but in those days, if you were seen to someone who uh, was trying to take their life, the nurses and the doctors really didn't like because they're there to save lives and how dare you try and take your life. So there was that attitude from the medical staff there. There was my mum and dad at the end of my bed, mum saying, how could you do this to us? And again, another kind of shock of like, I wasn't yeah, doing it like... to you, you know, again, it's not about you, you know. And, but you, the reason I didn't die wasn't because I didn't take enough, it's because I'd been self-medicating and my system was so used to such high, high levels of all the medications that it just actually just knocked me out. They didn't even oh, need to put my shot. Oh, um, so that was kind of the lowest, the lowest point, you know, in, in terms of, of where I got to. And, um, and at that point, even coming home, it was almost as if it hadn't happened. We didn't talk about it. It wasn't discussed. So it was this weird state of this huge thing happening. And yet we were back in the same, same loop of, you know, being at home, mm -hmm. um, and living at home. And, um, and, you know, at this point, my brother and sister who are younger were at university, they're in London, they're having their life. And it's just like, oh, my God, I'm just kind of left behind mm -hmm. you know, with this condition with nowhere to go. Like my life is pointless, you know, really felt like that. Mm -hmm. um, and my brother sent me two books at this point. And they were they were really important at that point as well. And one was Jonathan Livingston Seagull by Richard. Ah, Bond. yes. You know yeah, I've read that one. Yeah, great so book. Fantastic book, you know, just a little short book, but brilliant. And the other one was Louise Hayes, You Can Heal Your Life. Good and, one too. Uh, a good one. Yeah, exactly. So, so that was kind of like, you know what? Okay, I'm here. Let's just begin the work. Let's just see what this is. And that was really the point that that, that time um really began to look at what alternative things are there out there for me to to, to begin to try and uh, so i was doing i went start doing yoga classes start meditating finding a class to join a meditation class um i i kind of was observing my mind you know and just noticing well is there a relationship with what we think 
and what happens in the body, you know, is, is, there, is there a relationship with that? So I began to observe my mind. I was quite shocked, actually, that it was so negative, you know, it was so dark. I was like, wow, okay. <laughs> what did Louise Hay say about rheumatoid arthritis? I don't know offhand. Gosh, I haven't read it in such a long time. I'm sure somebody will correct me, but I think what she talks about is the body attack. Why are we attacking ourselves? So oh. something about the condition because it is because it is, is that's what it's doing. The body is attacking itself. And the negative thoughts in the mind. And the negative thoughts in the mind. So attacking myself yeah. from every sure. which angle you can possibly think about, right? And and the other thing, and I'm sure you probably have come across this, is that people who have long-term health conditions, chronic pain or disabilities of some kind where their lives suddenly dramatically change perhaps than what they wished it to be are often really hard on themselves. Yeah, they're really negative, they're really judgmental on themselves um, and, and just hypercritical. And, and that does a lot of damage. It does a lot, a lot of damage. And uh, so I thought, okay, there's a lot of negativity I'm really, you know, if this is what I'm putting out, like it's not surprised that what I'm inviting in is kind of mirroring, you know, that. Sure. So that was kind of the beginning parts of looking at the my condition in a more holistic way. So rather than it just being, this is the medical model and I'm going to trust it and everything's going to be fine and, you know, it's all going to work out to now almost like, Say nope, I'm not going to deal with the medical model apart from the painkillers and the anti-inflammatories and you know the basic basic I could kind of get away with because I was you know still in a lot of pain in those years, um, and um, and yeah that journey has been really interesting because that led me to try all kinds of weird and wonderful. And that's the other thing, you know, when you begin this journey, I'm sure you've, you've tried all kinds of things, right? You're just like, okay, I'm open. I'm open. Anything is possible. Yeah. And uh, so, you know, I did a I started getting onto lots of kind of the, the basic stuff is the um, doing supplements, you know, to see what, what might supplement my body. So doing a lot of that kind of work. And then my sister left the UK to um, start um, this new school in uh, Santa Fe in New Mexico. And really that was an alternative school. And she was like a big part of my support and helping me to kind of get another layered understanding of my condition and the, the relationship between the pain body, the emotional body, the mental body the psychic body, the spiritual bodies, you know, so, so how, how do we integrate all of those aspects of ourselves? How do we heal all of those aspects of ourselves? Um, and so there was a lot of work around multi-incarnational sessions. There was a lot of work around um, looking at the, the, the ideas of all of these aspects, the emotional, the physical, the mental, and seeing well, where, where, how have some of the stories and the experiences that I've had, especially in childhood, still impacting um, me now, you know, in those years, what is it? Where am I being held back? Where am I have certain judgments about myself that have come from my early, early years? So I began to do a lot of that kind of deeper work um, alongside her being in the States and what she was learning and what she was experiencing. So that was, again, another really um, important kind of uh, um, 
perspective on on what was happening for me in those years um and 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 the other thing that i one of the things that i began to see with people in those early years was how many people lead with their condition mm-hmm. yeah so it's not stantic and hi i'm stantic no hi i'm arthritis and you know da, 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 da. so there's that kind of victim nature with it, like poor me is so bad well, it is bad there's no doubt about it you know it's not denying that but however i am not my disease i am not yeah. my condition right so i was quite adamant about that you know that i was never going to be the victim to my circumstances the victim to this this condition but instead I was going to kind of find some way of of healing some way of still looking for the cure you know so don't get me wrong the the big goal is the cure right the big goal is still that i still have aspects of myself that i don't you know didn't like i was still um still discovering yes you will know this takes a long time this journey takes you know quite a long time to kind of get to that place um and along the way you know i've lived in india i've lived in america i've i've never i've never allowed the condition to stop me from having a life even though i've had to really struggle to mm-hmm. go and have these journeys and really lived with this sense of having this intense pain that's my normal yeah that i'm not going to be i'm not going to be set back by that condition in any shape or form um and and I remember when I was living in the States in particular, and I'm surrounded by people who are very much kind of, some of them quite new agey, some of them are like, you know, there's so many people kind of with stories of being healed and cured and you're desperately looking for that. Oh yeah, this person's brilliant. Their work really can heal you, you know, and I would try mm-hmm. out all these things and, and I wasn't being he- I wasn't being cured. And at this point, my knees, um, I'd lived in Australia and I'd come back um i'd gone to university you know i'd finally because the other thing i was doing a lot of was facing my fears mm-hmm. and uh because it was kind of seeing well how true were these fears you know whether were, were they real were they rational whether were, were they just there because of conditioning because of the way i was brought up and one of them was around um uh how smart i thought or how bright i thought i was or intellectual mm-hmm. that i thought i wasn't Mm-hmm. And so, right, I'm going to go to university. Yeah, I'm just going to, I'm going to go and I'm going to go to the university that I really want to go to. And I did, I did, I made it. I went to university cool. in London. And, um, and then at that point was when I needed to engage with the medical profession again, because what happened was when I got to university in my first term, the flare-ups were just extreme, you know, to the point I couldn't even really make it class you know i just couldn't do the work and my doctor then said in london it's like look either you go see a specialist and figure this out or you're not going to make it at university it, you know you look at you look how how tough it is right now so I thought, okay fine i'll go and that's where i met um professor edwards and he was just this he was a rheumatology specialist just a gentle being you know a really lovely human being and he 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 never ever pushed me for any treatments he was we would have my tests he said i think the smallest thing you can probably get away with taking is really small doses of steroids 
and that'll just keep the inflammation down so you can you know get through university and then we can decide on other things and um and i did i took his advice and i managed to you know i was still in a lot of pain but the inflammation i wasn't having flare-ups quite the same way so i was able to get through my university years but when i finished university and i was going to go to australia for a year I just decided that actually that was one point where I was going to fully engage with my health again because university years, you know, it was like drinking, doing this, doing that and didn't really stay on track with what I wanted to stay on track with. Right. So, you know, so as soon as I left university and I was, you know, getting on the flight to Australia, it's like, right, that's it. You know, no more drinking, no wheat, no sugar. You know, just really everything, just cut everything out, even stopped taking the steroids, which was a bit silly, really, because I should have stopped in small amounts. And I'm a little bit like, right, I'm going to go all out and, you know, instead of small doses. But what that showed me was um, how much the steroids had been masking what was really going on inside of the body. Mm-hmm. And what was really happening was my knees were just shot. They were damaged really severely. Mm-hmm the area was still extreme, you know, um, and I tried different treatments, you know, when I was in Australia. And again, some things were kind of a little bit helpful, but not enough so that when I came back to England, and you know, coming to see my professor, and he's like, Well, I think you need to have knee replacements, you know, that look at these x rays that they're in, it's just basically bone on bone, you know, it was that that extreme. And, and I just thought, well, okay, how often do knee replacements have to happen? They're like about every 15 years. So I'm in my 30s. So I'm thinking, well, how many am I going to be able to sustain in my body? Like, re- really, you know? You're only so maybe, rated for 15 to 20 years. Yeah, exactly. You know, right? and then they wear out, they got to replace them again. They got to replace them. So I'm thinking if I have them done now, 30, 40. 45 and then that you know where at one point am i going to be able to they're not going to be able to keep doing it right um so i i went again went on a search and i was living in went to america went on a search to get you know different kinds of cartilage build-up treatments all this other kind of stuff and then nothing nothing was working i mean you know that knee pain when it's just brutal bone on bone yep. i'm yep. sure you know it right so it's both of these knees so then i made a decision to have um knee replacement so i came back to england during my stay in america had both the knees done and you know that was a huge transition again like oh my god to be able to walk again you know um but then also what was happening at that point was that he was trialing out a new tr- treatment and he said to me I think this is something you, you'd be okay with, you know, compared to all the other stuff. I understand why you didn't want to do it. And this treatment, you know, as far as it was, he was trialing it. So he didn't think there'd be any side effects, but he said, trust me. I said, okay, well, so I went on this treatment with him on this trial and it did, it had a huge, huge impact on, on my body. And, um, I was, the inflammation went down my knees were working now. And so suddenly I began to have this sense of like, okay, that there's something about my life that feels that I could maybe now look outside of just maintaining this body and living with this, this condition. 
And I guess in terms of work and stuff, I had done projects, you know, so I'd done some teaching in America, done some filming with my brother occasionally when I was in England. So I'd been doing little bits, but it certainly wasn't a career, you know, I'd kind of had to, I guess on some level, I made a decision to, to value and put my health front and first because I was too aware of all the side effects that people can go through when they have extreme conditions and the medication that that's needed to suppress the condition and I wasn't willing to really do that and I'm lucky enough that you know with my parents support I was able to live a basic life without you know um, without that without having to find a job Um, and you know when I was in America one of the other other pivotal moments was when I was as I said I was this always this sense of wanting a cure and there was this moment I don't know whether you've been to Santa Fe or New Mexico but basically it was in the driving in the car and you come over to this top of this hill and it's just like this vista that opens up you know that mm-hmm. you can just see forever into the horizon and just mountains in the in the backdrop and and I and I was think and suddenly it just occurred to me that you know, what I'm actually looking for is a sense of healing, you know, well-being. It wasn't attached to the cure because if I hadn't done all this work on my emotions, on my, um, what I was eating, the exercising, all of those different aspects of myself, and I was still the same person and I'd got cured, actually, I don't know how, what kind of a person I would have been. I think I would have been quite miserable still and still not great. Do you know what I mean? Like, because the whole of me would have still been that same person, bitter, you know, feeling like victim. Thanks for tuning in to today's episode of the Pain Education Corner. If you have a special talent or skill to relieve pain and you'd like to become a guest on our show, visit us at thecamellafoundation.org forward slash interview. Help us spread the word on eliminating pain and suffering in the world. That's thecamellafoundation.org forward slash interview. I think you're making a really great distinction there between the cure and the feeling of well-being. Because mm-hmm. you could be, and it, I've had this experience, I could be in a lot of pain, but I could feel like everything's all right. Yes. <laughs> like I yeah. have this sense of well-being. And I think that's a huge distinction to uh, that would be easy to gloss over. But it's it's huge there, that sense of well-being. It's massive, you know, for someone with conditions, particularly where there isn't a sense of cure. Because if you're constantly longing for that, Mm -hmm. right, that longing, that wanting, that yearning causes pain in itself, Mm -hmm. right? Emotional pain, physical pain, that kind of sense. You don't see anything else other than Mm -hmm. this one thing that you're wanting. You're not enough. You don't have enough. You'll never get there never going to get that look at you what's the point you know mm-hmm. and and that moment when it's like you know when I looked internally and thought oh my god I don't feel I don't have that dark thoughts that I used to have it's not all how horrible how terrible I am you know it wasn't still brilliant but it was a lot lot better there seems to be like uh, room and space inside of me that was mm-hmm. never there, a strength inside of me that had never been there all those years ago. And I'd not even noticed it. I hadn't even noticed the value of that until that moment. Mm-hmm. So so that again was like, wow, actually, 
I am a lot different than I was 10 years ago and where I was internally in my emotional, physical, mental states. And I was really grateful to to have that opportunity and that moment to recognize it. And as you said, recognize the power of what that meant. So, so it shifted. So my perspective shifted from this wanting this cure. Now, don't get me wrong. If there is a cure that's somewhere happening, of course, I'd happily go for it. But sure. that's not the only thing that's important to me right now. You right. know, it's about how can I have a life that's full of um, meaning, that has um, joy in it, that has a sense of achievement. Can I have all of that with this condition? And yes, I can, because I, I am. You know, I am. Cool. You know, if I, if I, if my, if I could speak to my, you know, fifteen, twenty-year-old self and tell them what I'm doing now, she would not believe it. She would not ever think that that was possible, because I, right. I, I was so shy. I was so intimidated by people, even being you know, in a group or, or watching a lecture and asking a question. I couldn't even ask a question because I'd get tongue tied and get it all wrong and then berate myself for why did I do that? And I'm so stupid. And, you know, all of that kind of stuff would happen. The negative self-talk. Negative yeah. Stuff. yeah, exactly. But what I, you know, what I realized in those early years to challenge that, to challenge my negative thinking, to look at where I thought, um, where my fears were and could I, challenge that and and could they be turned in a different way could i have another perspective on that stancher there's there's one point that i want to bring back and and pause to talk about just a minute and that was about the 15 year old self or the teenage version of you would not be able to recognize the yeah. person that that's being interviewed today and I think that's a really important distinction for anybody that's suffering in pain, that in order to feel different about your pain, about your experience, you have to become a different person. Yes. And it isn't clear. <laughs> we don't know how we're going to get here from there or there from here. Mm -hmm. It we need to just start taking like you did one step after another, moving in that direction of making conscious choices to want to feel better, to want to do better for yourself on a daily basis. And look at all of those different aspects of who we are that's hanging ourselves up in the process. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely right there, Bill. And it's, it's what I would say to those people that perhaps right this moment at that beginning point where something's happened you know they've got chronic pain they've got a condition that's just been diagnosed is is please don't give up and think this is it that's the end that your life is over it really isn't it feels like that it's a different challenge but you know what everybody has challenges in their lives everybody they just take different forms yours is just coming in this package as as this is and and if you keep asking questions if you make sure that you're the center that you're really important and even with your you know relationship to the medical professionals go there with understanding of your condition 
with what it is. Go there with uh, asking questions. It's, it's a relationship, joint relationship. It's not that they are all knowing. You know your body. You know if you are able to really listen and really have that stillness, you have a lot of information and a lot of knowledge. You know, mm -hmm. it's not to downplay that. No. No. Mm -hmm. um, so, Stanter, before we started today, you brought up breathworks. Okay, I'd yeah. like to see how we, how did that enter into the conversation? What, where, yeah. where did that come in? Yeah. So. In my 30s, I've had both knees replaced, uh, I've had a hip replacement and back in England. So, you know, I've kind of lived in different parts of the world and I finally make a decision to come back to England and to settle here. You know, I'm going to try and now because I was getting better in my body and, you know, things were beginning to change. I thought, right, OK, I'm going to settle in England. And um, and so being here, I was on the aeroplane. And I saw this article and it was about the uh, expert patient program. So it was this eight week program for people with long term health conditions and holistic. And I, I was like, oh, my God, this uh, this is what I've been doing. Like mm -hmm. this is, you know, this is my 20, 30 years of my life. Kind of this program. I need to do that program and I need to teach that program. So I got back and I got in touch with people. It's a voluntary led teacher. So I. We start teaching it that led to another um, job opportunity which again I you know I hounded the managers telling them this was my job and you know it was really important that I get their job I get that other job and really in that in those years there was also at that point you know there was now uh, this beginning to be more talk about mindfulness you know just generally because as I said I've been meditating on and off quite a long long time and mindfulness was something that kind of kept coming back. And um, and it was really this kind of discovery of breathworks because I was looking to think about, well, okay, I want to work, but I don't know quite, I'm not the kind of person, I knew I wasn't going to be able to create my own courses from the knowledge that I had, from the experience that I'd had. So I was looking for what was out there that I could then teach, you know. And, and I knew about mindfulness, I'd done a little bits of it, but not enough. And I came across Vidya Malabak, who is one of the founders of Breathworks. And she is someone who has her own pain story and her kind of journey to, um, you know, having partial paraplegia when she was a young woman and chronic pain. And, and she basically, it was through mindfulness meditation that she began to recover. And again, you know, this journey kind of almost felt like, oh God, that's very familiar, very similar to what my journey had been. So I thought actually, these are the people that I want to work with. This this is really pulling, pulling me towards that. And when I'd done one of the courses, a couple of things happened that really showed me like this is my future this is what i really want to do and those two things were my understanding of acceptance and self-compassion two things two pennies dropped so acceptance in my head was about giving up letting go you know it, it felt weak if acceptance felt a weak thing to sure. do, you know, um, and really 
with breath works, with, with mindfulness, what I realized was that actually acceptance was a really powerful gift. You know, it was essential, actually. It was an essential part of the healing. Because acceptance in its core form is, are you willing to have the experience of what's happening in that moment? Are you willing to, you know, are you willing, I need open to it. And when you bring it down to the point of in this moment, right now I have pain in my body. Can I accept that? Well, I can't change it. I can fight against it. I can cry about it. I can, but is that going to take it away? No, still going to have it. Might not like it, but that's the truth of my reality. Just I'm sure you have certain things going on in your body right now. So, you know, to accept in that moment that that is the truth of this moment. Mm -hmm. And just in that accepting of that moment, it, your the resistance also the resistance to to the to acceptance it creates tension it creates more pain mm -hmm. so when we're able to let that go and fully uh, embrace the moment there's a healing that begins to happen in the acceptance part of it because then once I can accept that this is the truth of my reality then I can relate to my body in a different way yeah, then I can ask different kinds of questions. Yeah, it, it from my perspective, what I see happening in that moment of the acceptance of being present with your experience of what's going on, you're actually shifting neurological states. Yes, you're moving from like the fight or flight, like resisting that experience to a parasympathetic state, which is a rested and relaxed state that it's like, in that state, that's the state the body is able to heal. Yes. There is a, in a neurological shifts that take place. Digestion increases, heart rate decreases, adrenaline production and all that decrease. Um, the, the, uh, the, the breathing will slow down or yeah. relax. Yeah. All of that comes online just with that simple mental shift of, accepting what's going on yeah yeah absolutely and and it doesn't mean that oh well that's it except i've got aria i give up hands up and i'm done it's like no we're saying in this moment you know each moment is arising and unfolding each moment there's something else going on so it's it's very much about okay in this moment you know okay i've got pain right now and if i'm resisting i'm causing tension as you're saying my breathing shifted yep. uh, my my solar plexus are tight you know we are in that fight or flight state it might not be uh in the way people assume it to be which is like oh i'm my heart's beating i'm running or you know i need to hide or it's no these these fight or flight states can be really low level and that's what's happening when, when we're in resistance when when we're struggling to to be with what's actually unfolding for us in that moment right yeah um and and that was huge huge when that dropped for me you know really big because it's like i'd been resisting you know all my life in a way you know didn't really want this ra never it was always like i'm gonna fight and i'm gonna get through and no matter what you know it's very much like that kind of a state and now with this acceptance came oh my god my poor body you're doing the best that you can you know, I'm here. And just even doing that, that that level of acceptance, 
coming in, the level of um, kindness and compassion to my body doing the best that it can, you know, that care with which we can talk to the body. Again, that's changing the biochemistry of the body again, right? So we've got um, different chemicals now stirring up. So, and that that's really, really important as well in terms, because when we are in that state, that's where the body can repair. Yeah, that's where the brain is sending signals that actually everything is safe, everything is okay. And we need to be in these states much, much more. And as, as I was saying to you earlier, that state of compassion, you know, didn't really happen for me until really, honestly, until mindfulness came about in my life. That self-compassion, that mm -hmm. self-love, that self-care to to really kind of think wow this body has gone through so much and yet here i am i'm still walking here i am i'm still functioning here i, I can still smell and taste and feel and you know all these amazing things that were still um uh, i was still able to access all of these wonderful things that it wasn't just this this you know this pain body that i was struggling with because you know the other things like you know my hands were changing got metal in my body um you know, things that are, that are just some things I just can't do. Mm -hmm. uh, but there's a hell of a lot that I still can do. And it's that, it's that shift, you know, with mindfulness, again, that kind of looking at it from that perspective of um, the negativity bias, you know, which is that actually because of all the conditioning, because of all the experience that I've had, it's not surprising that that's where my mind's going to go to. Yeah, it's always going to go to the negative. But actually, I've got a choice in whether I want to be there, you know. Do I want to be blinkered in like, yep, this is pain, this is horrible, I don't like it, I'm not making enough money, I don't have a relationship, and I don't have this, I don't have that, or can I just lift my head up, let go of the blinkers, and I guess what, the way that sun comes in through the window at four o'clock in the morning or seven o'clock in the morning is just beautiful, you know, the breeze, the way it hits my skin, you know, so it's kind of acknowledging that actually that there is beauty around us, even in the midst of chaos, even in the midst of extreme experiences, that there is joy to be had, but we need to find it, we need to be accessing it and really reveling in it so that we, we have that balance, you know, in, in our lives. Stancher, now, how does it all work with Breathworks and you working with clients? Is that something you're only doing in the UK? Um, uh, is that something you work with people online? How does that work? How is that? Yeah. Structured? So with Breathworks, you know, um, so the initial part was I did some training with them. I've become a teacher, but then now I'm also head of programs for, for Breathworks. But I still do, uh, I run some of the courses. Um, I am involved in kind of curating the program, you know, what, what we put out into the world. So it's an organization, you know, we're an international organization. We're certainly becoming more global in our reach, especially uh, it's interesting with, with COVID. The one thing it did was it made everything online right so we are able to access people in different parts of the world um and um you know our kind of um one of the the main courses that um vidimala created the very first one was mindfulness for health so it's the first pain program 
mindfulness pain program that was that's been you know that was curated almost 20 years ago so we're really at the forefront in leadership in 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 creating these pro this mindfulness programs to support people with pain we are a charity and and what that means is that we provide scholarships and bursaries for people because you know like myself for many years i didn't work you know, so, um, and I understand that many people are not able to afford, you know, it may feel like a luxury to do these courses, but we know this and that that's why we, we've got the scholarships and the bursaries to really support people. So I do work with people one-to-one. Um, I run courses, so there's the stress course and the health course. And, and you know, also the other thing that Breathworks um, has done in, in response to, you know, the COVID kind of time is that we've created our own community, online community, and that's free. That's absolutely free for people to join. And that might be where if you're uncertain about mindfulness, um, you know, I yeah, they can see that I'm talking about it, but, you know, did it really make that much of a difference? And I can promise you out of all the things that I've done in my life, and I've done a lot of different kinds of treatments and work for me mindfulness is the one that is the most profound in many many ways because it really helps us to deal with all of those aspects of ourselves you know being getting really close up to the lived experience of what's happening right now so that we're not in reaction to life's experiences but really choosing you know what's my response in this you know, why, why do I behave the way do I, I behave? How can I, you know, when, when we have pain, what we really want to do is to push it away, to get away from it, you know, because who the hell wants to be living in their pain? But right. actually, mindfulness teaches us to get close, to embrace, to notice, because that is what's going on inside of your body. And when we begin to notice, then you notice that actually it, it might not this big block thing that it changes and we can be responsive to some of those changes. You know, I can make decisions like, okay, I, you know, I've been sitting down for a while. Oh, okay, there it is. I can feel that prickling energy beginning to happen in my shoulder. So I might just do a few shoulder rolls. Or I might just stand up, have a little bit of a stretch. You know, I know for me, because I do work at my desk quite a bit, I need to have a walk every day. I need to do my Pilates every day, you know, every other day. So it's about being able to put in all of these other aspects to help deal with the condition that you're in. So that as we were talking about earlier, this sense of well-being, you know, that it is no longer about am I cured? And therefore that's that's the bar that I'm holding myself up from then having this sense of failure because I'm not curing myself. But now there's this other place that says, actually, I am really healthy at the age of almost 55 i would say i'm probably the healthiest that i've ever been in my life that's fantastic that's fantastic Mm -hmm. that's so exciting um stanter i i want to um thank you so much for being here uh, for sharing your story it's it's very inspiring especially Mm -hmm. for anybody that's suffering with chronic pain um your journey has been absolutely amazing. Like from the age of 15 to now that that's just incredible. Thank you. Um, so we'll have all of your, the ways to contact you down below in the description of the video, as well as yeah. on the Camilla foundation website as well. Yeah. 
Is there any uh, last bit you'd like to tie up today's call with before we before we end? I think if if you're someone you know beginning in that journey with chronic pain or ill health in some way, the version you hoped you'd be may not be manifesting, but the version you're meant to be will. That's know? a good one, yes. And and that version mm. will depend on will depend on what you're willing to do right now. How much are you willing to partake in that possibility rather than the one that you wanted to be? Right. Because there is so much beauty and wonder that can still happen, even with a body that doesn't work, you know, everything looking as if it's never going to happen for you. It just may not happen the way you think it's going to happen. Mm -hmm. But don't give up. And yeah. really, I think if you're going to try anything, you know, really do a mindfulness course because that can be the first step in that healing. Awesome. That's so inspiring. Thank you. Stanter, thank you so much for sharing your time with us. Appreciate you very much. It was sharing your knowledge and expertise and wisdom. Um, yeah, it, it was really special today. Really special for me to be able to interview you. Thank you, Bill. I really appreciate it. And I think you've got all the, the links and things for Breathworks and my own personal stuff. So that'd be really great. So if anybody wants to reach out, I live in the UK, but, you know, as I said, we do have international international clients and people who are interested in Breathworks. Please reach out. Honestly, it's, it's just even having a conversation sometimes with someone, you know, when you're going through that can give you hope and can give you one possible thing that you can make a start on. And, and that can go into the next step and the next step. And before you know it, your life unfolds in a really interesting way. Absolutely. Well, Stancher, once again, thank you so much. This thank is you. Bill Paravano, the knee pain guru, going to sign off on behalf of the Pain Education Podcast brought to you by the Camella Foundation. Thank you so much. And we will see you next time. Thank you for tuning into this week's segment of the Pain Education Corner. Join us next week for another conversation on natural healing methods to eliminate pain. To learn more about the work we do at the Camella Foundation, please visit our website at the Camella, C O M E L L A, foundation.org. Thank you.